there's, you know, people who want to, to have their traditional diet uh, year round. You know, there's a lot of folks that come from the Middle East, come from Southeast Asia, and they're used to halal meat. They're used to eating lamb, goat. They don't really want McDonald's. Yeah. You know, they want to sure. come. Yeah. They want to come to the farm themselves and slaughter it themselves or, you know, direct to consumer sort of thing. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this is chronicling my journey to get to know the real people behind the food here in Washington State. This week, we go to Rochester, Washington, where we meet Imad Ahmed, who has Olive Branch Ranch, and he is bringing his family full circle back to their farming roots from Palestine. His family's from the West Bank, and he's raising halal meat here in Washington, including lamb and goat and uh, quite a few other things that he's working on. Great conversation. What an awesome guy and a really cool story. Uh, so you're going to enjoy talking with Imad and finding out about his farm. We did the interview right inside uh, his barn on his property. It's from the 1890s, so it doesn't get much more picturesque and classic than where we were able to chat with Imad. Our sponsors here on the podcast are the Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting the podcast and uh, informing people, educating folks about the real life of dairy farming here in, in Washington State and the, the things that go on to make the delicious dairy products Washington State dairy producers do. Uh, you can check them out online at wadairy.org. They even have a full virtual farm tour there. And uh, I th really think you should check it out again, wadairy.org, w-a-dairy.org. Uh, Mana Insurance Group is another one of our sponsors. Uh, good folks there at uh, Mana really believe in building community and um, legacy and doing what's right and being good stewards. That's why they wanted to support us with a podcast here. I've known quite a few of the folks there. They have offices uh, in Linden, Washington, where I'm at. Uh, they have an office in California as well as Arizona, and they do all different kinds of insurance, including farms, uh, personal, you know, uh, liability insurance, auto insurance, umbrella policy kind of stuff. They do it all at Mana Insurance Group, manainsurancegroup.com. Check them out and thank them for supporting the podcast. Williams also uh, supporting our podcast with a community grant, um, Powering Your Clean Energy Future. That's what Williams is all about, and we thank them. Also, Washington Red Raspberries supporting the podcast. And a crazy time right now, as I talk about this, we're in the middle of red raspberry harvest here in my part of Washington State. My dad's a red raspberry grower, and they're out um, picking berries right now. So it's a busy, busy time for uh, Washington Red Raspberry Growers, and we appreciate their support on the podcast as well. Now, without further ado, let's go to Rochester, Washington, to the 1890s barn of Imad Ahmed at the Olive Branch Ranch. So you guys grow all kinds of stuff here. Like what, what's all on your list of what you're farming right now? Yeah. Oh, well, we got all sorts of projects and things that we'd love to do. And, you know, one day I'm like, ah, we should have a nursery business. We should have, we should plant olives. And it's like, okay, focus on your bread and butter and what kind of makes you, uh, what's, what's uh, in demand and what people actually want. So what is your bread and butter? That would be grass-fed, uh, pasture-raised 
lamb and goats. That's like kind of that's like the go to. That's what is we're always out of stock of. That's you yeah. Know. And I see that your your stuff is halal. It is. So yeah. what what does that really mean? So halal and kosher. It's basically the same thing. So mm-hmm. kosher is basically blessed by a rabbi, right? And it's also uh, the way it's raised and the way it's uh, harvested has to be in accordance with um, kosher principles. So mm-hmm. that's the same thing with uh, halal. Halal in Arabic just means permissible. So something that's permissible. Right. Um, but um, so when something's halal, the animal's not sick, the animal. And there's a lot of misconceptions online. If you go on YouTube and you yep. look up stuff, people are like, oh, no, halal meat. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> you know, and people get freaked out. So, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about halal, but halal just means something that's permissible to eat. Well, and, and there's a little bit more to it with the raising of halal meat than, like, other things, right? Because I know, right. like, my dad's, well, I don't know about halal, but, like, my dad's raspberries, mm-hmm. you know, the rabbi comes and blesses the the uh, processing facility where mm-hmm. they pack it to send it to the freezer so right. it can be labeled kosher. Right. No pork products involved in it. Right. No. Sees, make sure everything's legit. So it's basically the same with halal. You know, the knife has to be sharp. The the animal can't suffer. The animal has to have, uh, you know, water at all times. Has to have has to have a good life. You know, basic good things. You have to yeah. actually eat what animals eat. You know, yeah. the whole the mad cow disease stuff that <laughs> happened in uh, in Europe. Uh, you know, a couple of decades ago, that was happening because the cows weren't eating. You know, they someone thought. Uh, it was a good idea to feed cows a ruminant animal, other, you know, ma- mushed up cow products. And it's like, no. <laughs> Ruminants so, were meant to eat grass. That's what they were meant to eat. So anyone who ate halal meat at that time didn't have anything to worry about? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> at least they shouldn't have. Right. If everyone was following the rules and right. doing the right stuff. Exactly. So what kind of a market do you have for that? So actually there's a huge market. I mean, um, there's a lot of changing demographics in the Pacific Northwest. There's, yeah. you know, a lot of immigrants from uh, Southeast Asia. There's, um, you know, a large African community in Seattle, Somali American, Ethiopian, and they like goat, they like lamb, they like yeah. mutton. So yeah, it's, it's going good. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of demand and I don't have a lot of supply, so that's good. Well, that's a good problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, because how many other people are doing this kind of thing here in Washington? Do you know? Um, well, there's a few, but um, I think there's kind of, a, you know, a disconnect with, and that's kind of why we have a, like a niche, you know, market yeah. is that we have, uh, you know, the ethnic market might not understand you know, all the work that goes into the, the, you know, what, you know, traditional farmers here do and then vice versa, you know, the farmer might say like, oh no, I'm not going to go with kind of what your parameters are as far as what you want to do with the animal and whatnot. So we're kind of unique. We know, and we have a lot of connections to the community, so it works out. So how did you get started doing that? So basically how I got started doing this is, you know, every year, uh, there's a holiday that a, a lot of people may have heard of. It's um, Eid. Yep. So E-I-D. Yeah. yeah Eid. Which is like the end of Ramadan, right? Yeah, it's the end of Ramadan. But then there's a month later, there's also another, you know, a second Eid. And that's the, mm. the Eid that it's called. It's a harvest festival, essentially. Okay. Yeah. So if you're able and you have the financial well-being, you'll, you, will, you will harvest um, a lamb. And, you'll, mm. you know, you'll give one-third to your community, give one-third to the needy, and, you know, keep one-third for yourself, essentially. Mm. So that's kind of 
uh, you know obligatory on every uh, Muslim mm. uh, to do that. So it, it gets pretty busy yeah. every year, and yeah. it changes. The dates change, so it's always interesting uh, trying to raise lamb mm. and goat for that. Um, yeah. So yeah, because traditional lamb and goat farming kind of has seasons to it, right? But if that date is moving, like what what's the kind of date range that it could be in? And, it, well, and does that make it hard for like breeding and raising? It does. You kind of kind of have to adjust your breeding cycle by 15, 20 days every year or a month every year. So, yeah, you just kind of have to make sure. And then there's, you know, people who want to, to have their traditional diet uh, year round. You know, there's a lot of folks that come from the Middle East, come from Southeast Asia, and they're used to halal meat. They're used to eating lamb, goat. They don't really want McDonald's. Yeah. You know, they want to sure. come. Yeah. They want to come to the farm themselves and slaughter it themselves or, you know, direct to consumer sort of thing. So are yeah. there any McDonald's that do halal? Uh, I think some in the Middle East. Yeah. 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 Burger oh, King. Yeah. I would suppose in the Middle East. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have very many customers if they didn't offer those right. options. Yeah. There's actually in the UK, there's a, you know, a big halal movement. Yeah. A lot of the, I mean, fish and chip places and chicken places and yeah, yeah, they got a lot of, they're starting to, you know, it's a, like we said, it's a huge demographic that's immigrating. The, there's the changing demographic, and it's something that people want. So let's go back a little bit farther. I mean, that's how you, that need is how you got into raising halal meat. How did you get into farming, period? Yeah, so like every year, me, me and my dad would, you know, we've been doing, I've been, you know, harvesting animals and been a part of, you know, agriculture since I was a kid. We didn't live on a farm, but my parents are from Palestine, and my mm. dad lived on a farm. And he, mm. he, ra- he, had, he had dairy cows, he had, you know, dairy sheep, and my grandpa used to import um, sheep from Romania and, mm. and whatnot. So he lived on a farm. When we got, when he came to college in America and, you know, kept on the traditions of eating lamb and yeah. goat, you know, we, we would be kids and he'd take us to, to farms when we were kids. And we'd, I remember being six years old with my sister and we would, my dad would be like, all right, hold, hold this, hold this goat down, hold this lamb down. Um, but every year it got harder and harder to find, um, a, someone who just let us would harvest, uh, something on their farm or B just an, a place to find uh, lamb. It was like, can't find, can't find fresh lamb. Yeah. Most of the lamb in the United States is imported from New Zealand or Australia. Mm. So frozen. Yeah. Um, so it was like, man, this is this is tough. Every year we're you calling a guy, and he has one, and he doesn't have one, and it's like, man, one day I'm gonna I'm gonna just do this myself. And then um, you know, I was at at the time I was big into you know health and eating right and you know changing my diet and whatnot, and I just randomly was searching chickens on Craigslist, and I drove down south 30, 30 minutes, picked up three chickens, and built the chicken coop in the back of my parents. Uh, back in my parents' backyard. And I was like, we're going to get fresh eggs. Nice. Didn't know anything about anything. And then that kind of just started the journey. I started looking for property. And in 2017, we bought five acres and uh, three lambs. And then we we're like, okay, we're going to have these lambs for ourselves. So that's kind of where we started in 2017. Yeah. And then folks were like, hey, do you have a lamb for us? And I was like, ah, sorry, you know, family, friend. No, mm-hmm. just these three. And then I started started buying more and selling more and i was like maybe this is this could be a business in the future yeah that's kind of the inception of it and then it just kept growing yeah then it gradually from there yeah absolutely kept growing and now we got i don't know 150 200 head out in the field out there yeah so Uh yeah we're 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 moving so it's good and then we uh 
about uh, almost a year ago, we bought this place, which is 17 acres. So this uh, definitely helped. So we kind of outgrew the place, uh, the five acres down the down the street pretty rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't have enough space and to uh, to do what we wanted to do. A good problem to have. Yeah. Absolutely. Again. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So you say a lot of lamb and goat is usually imported when people get it and it's frozen. What's the difference between frozen and fresh? Oh, well, it's totally different. First of all, we have hair sheep, so they shed like a they shed like a dog in the spring. Mm. Um, so that not like wool sheep. Yeah, not wool sheep. So we have yeah. hair sheep, cotton sheep and uh, dorper sheep a little mix and uh, the flavor is a lot more mild a lot of a lot of american folks are like oh man lamb is gamey or greasier i just don't like it usually what they're having is something that's you know not fresh maybe old like it's just Mm -hmm. mutton or they're they're having like um you know uh you know wool sheep from new zealand or whatnot that's been frozen and shipped for seven months in a you know container and it's like that's going to be different than if you go to the farm and get it directly from the farmer. So, yeah, the taste are, is totally different. And, uh, yeah. The so that's where like, immigrants with backgrounds like your family and from parts of the world where that's common, they have that stuff and they're like, no. Yeah. this We need the real deal. <laughs> yeah, we want the real deal. We want, you know, we want something super fresh. Yeah. Yeah, and then age also plays a factor into it. Like if you, you know, the older, the older you know, mutton doesn't taste as good as, as lamb. So, yeah. you know, so anything over a year is considered a sheep, you know, and okay. anything younger is considered a lamb. So Got younger it. than a year. Yeah. What, what age do you usually harvest? Um, anywhere from, so they start to be, you know, a, a decent size at six months, but um, we like to push it out a little bit for anywhere from seven to nine months is a good harvest yeah. range. Yeah. And you said you have how many, like 200 head or something? No, we probably have, well, we have probably 89, uh, 80, 90 breeding ewes, and then uh, uh, the, the, the ram lambs out there. We, we um, you know, harvest all the boys and keep all the girls, essentially. Yeah. 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 To grow the flock. Yeah. yeah. So how big are you going to get? Oh, I don't know. We'll see. Just um, keep going? We'll keep going. We need, uh, we need more to sell to folks. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's the supply problem. Yeah. Um, and the the cool thing is that um, we've you know started to reach out to the neighbors and whatnot. I got a friend Jacob who's um, fairly close here. He's the cattle guy, and um, he does all the cattle. I do all the sheep. Nice. And um, you know he has land and his own custom hay business, so it, it's a good connection. And he's a, he's a young dude in his twenties, and and that's kind of the push to to make sure that we you know bridge and. Um, you know, strengthen communities and try to help people out, you know, help him out you know, do things that are mutually beneficial. So he has some land that, that he leases and that he hays and, you know, his folks land and other neighbors and they allow <laughs> us to, they allow us to, to graze. We graze the, the folks across the street. We graze their land last year. We, we graze the neighbor down the street. So we'll see, we'll get as big as, uh, as it allows us, as the land allows us. Well, and it sounds like for the time being, you can keep on growing if, if, People want to buy up your product to the point where you're having to turn yeah. people away. Yeah, and that's what we have to do right now. Um, luckily, you know, you know, 18 acres is a pretty decent size for for what we're doing. We do rotationally grazing, so mm. like every two days, we're we're moving the sheep. We're never we're never taking it down. They're never in one spot too long. You know, movement is kind of the key to life, and it's yep. like just keep on going. So we were moving fence this morning. We got them into a little forest area with some cover because uh, we were expecting a little rain. So yeah, it's good. 
So rotational grazing, that's right. becoming more and more recognized as a really beneficial way to do things. It's really the old-fashioned way of doing right. it. Exactly. But it seems like the science wasn't really understood for a while. Right. But now that's really coming. Talk about like, yeah, soil health and, and kind of the other side of raising that mead on the ground. Yeah. I mean, I know that my ancestors were Bedouins and moved around and probably took camels and sheep and goats and didn't stay in one place too yeah. long. And, you know, that's kind of the way, you know, the bison, the bison herd here in yeah. America, uh, you know, how they would come in one area, trample it down you know, fertilize the area and then yep. predators would move them on and they, they wouldn't come back to that area for a year, six months, you know, 30 days, but they would give uh, long rest periods. So, um, you know, we stumbled acro across that and, you know, kind of just talking to my dad and kind of just getting tips from him and learning, you know, what do we do? Oh, don't keep them in one area too long. So that, that kind of has helped us with, um, not having to use any, you know, commercial wormer or chemicals mm. or weird funky things. Mm. As long as we keep the grass high and keep them moving, they don't have uh, any issues with parasites. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's really cool. As long as you don't keep uh, keep them in one area too long, you know, we tried to never keep the sheep in, in an area more than seven days. So that's mm. like the, the key. But, you know, in the springtime, you can move a lot faster because um, the grass is growing and then you just kind of slow down in the summertime. So, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask, how long is too long? But I've heard that it can be totally different depending on the farm, right, time exactly. of year, the animals. Right. It all depends on the factors of your farm. So you want to keep the grass as long as possible. You want to trample a third, keep a third, you know, leave a third behind and then have them eat a third. So, yeah, you, it really just depends. But you just have to be out there and you have to learn. And and we we learned, you know, some important lessons early on the hard way. And, you know, we we have progressed. And, yeah, that's the – we made mistakes and we moved forward, yeah. You talk about not having to use wormer or dewormer, I guess, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which is really cool. And I've heard from an organic dairy farmer uh, just up the road from me where I live mm -hmm. who's doing rotational grazing and organic dairy mm -hmm. that um, because he doesn't – use wormer then the dung beetles are way more healthy in right. all of the poop right all the cow pies out right. in the field so they eat it up and break it breaks down way faster absolutely because there isn't dewormer in right. the manure yeah the chemicals are not killing the the soil or sterilizing the soil essentially so that soil life you know you know um people who have farms you know they're recognizing that it's 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 about soil it's about the microbes in the soil yeah. and uh, we go a step further we have uh, pastured poultry out there following the ruminant animals so mm. you know a few days after um a few days after the sheep have eaten an area down and taken that nutrient out off and taken that grass off and turned it into into meat what we do is we follow them with chicken tractors and the chickens kind of sanitize the pasture they scratch the the you know the manure and they spread it evenly and then they aerate the soil and then they leave behind and eat bugs and yeah. you know parasites anything that we could be growing they eat that and then they leave their fertilizer behind and then the grass you know two three weeks after yeah. the chickens have been in the area the grass just goes crazy yeah well because chicken manure is really high in nitrogen right exactly so and probably not as high in other organic matter that you're going to get from your ruminant animals right so it's uh it's uh, a, a nice little ecosystem so we're trying to we're trying to 
get back to, you know, the way nature does things and kind of just see what works. And what else do your sheep and goats eat? Like, are they mostly able to just eat grass through this like spring, summer, fall kind of thing? Yeah. They're, they're just, they're pretty much just grass. Um, and then in this, in the winter time and we pulled them into the barn around December. And for those months, they just eat the hay that was actually cut on this property. Nice. And, um, we, we won't be cutting hay this year. We're going to let uh, Jacob cut hay elsewhere mm. and uh, bring it to us. But um, What's the reason for that, to let the grass kind of So the reason is... Uh, build up? Yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to import that nutrient. Um, mm. So instead of um, cutting hay here would require us to use a lot of, you know, cutting hay and cutting hay and cutting hay, you're going to have to eventually put something back. you got to put, right. you know, a fertilizer back in there. And then, so we're going to, we're going to let the folks who cut hay, cut hay, and then yeah. we're not going to own any of that equipment or do any of that. We're going to let that happen off, off farm. And then anyone who wants to do that and we'll import that nutrient. So we'll keep, we're trying to keep all of our nutrients in our soil and we're trying to, you know, eventually what we'd like to do is just be a hundred percent not relying on any hay. Mm. And I don't know if that's possible, but we're going to find yeah, out. Yeah. How would you make it through the winter then? Uh, Can you graze all winter? Uh, you can. Because that could be hard on fields, right? People complain about the mud, at least here in western well, Washington. if you're moving where, enough, then yeah. you might be able to get away with it. I know there's a guy in, in the Midwest, Greg Judy. He's a, you know, pretty famous dude on YouTube. You can check him out. But um, he he has just cows and sheep together out on pasture all the time. And he just really? moves them, moves them, moves them. and doesn't buy any hay. And I'm like, okay. That's awesome. Yeah, he got his pastures over the decades, you know, able to sustain 100% of what they need. So we're not there yet. That's, you know, a lofty goal that we'd like to try to do. But a closed system. Everything comes from right, right here. I guess yeah. the only thing you're exporting then would be your meat and right. whatever else you're growing. Right, right. Talk about some of those other things that you're growing other than meat, too. Like, you have olive trees out here? Yeah, we're trying to trial some olive trees and see if it will work. A lot of folks in Oregon and the Willamette Valley are, you know, uh, vineyards are trying different things. They're trying to, you know, with the the weather looks like it's getting better and better here in, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. and. And actually, it kind of matches up with uh, the Mediter- you know, the Mediterranean climate. So yeah. we're trying different olive uh, olive trees out there, and uh, it looks like it's working. So we'll see. That's awesome. Yeah, it's. Do you cool. guys have really cold winters here? Probably uh, not too not bad. Not super bad. Yeah, it's not super cold, but it, it will it will get. You know, we have plenty of freezing temps, and um, actually, olives need some cold weather to oh, really? set. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of our farm name is the Olive Branch Ranch. So yeah. I was like, oh, we need to we need to have some sort of we need to you know be true to the name and that's, grow some olives. Try and, it out. And it's like, where else do you? F- I I've never seen olives around here. Right. You yeah. know what is it? California, where they yeah. grow olives? Yeah. Probably California the closest. And Texas. Yeah. yeah. California and Texas. Yeah. So you know, it's a it's a kind of a fun passion project that we're trying to do in the future. So yeah, we're gonna try to see if it will work out. So I know nothing about olives. What kind uh, of olives are they? Like the actual fruit, black olives, green olives. So they're green what? olives, and um, that's something that my 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 parents, you know, they own in Palestine. They own olive groves, and mm-hmm. th- those are hundreds of years old. And that's kind of a, a big traditional thing that every kind of fall everybody would go and pick olives, you know, shake them off the tree, collect them all, and then every everyone would ha- go to the community olive press and they'd press their olive there their olives there and they'd make they'd pickle some and then they'd make their own olive oil and man it's it's the best olive oil we get yeah. we get it shipped from Palestine every year so 
Next time I see you, I'm going to bring you some. Hardware. Yeah, you have the hookup to the good stuff. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Because I would have no idea like where to go other than just what's yeah. you know the in stuff the that they stock on the shelf in the grocery store. Yeah, and know? some of that's good. Yeah, um, but uh, I'm sure not the same as that stuff. No, that's 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 the that's the good stuff. So what are you going to do with your olives here? Are you going to press them? Are uh, you going to pickle them? What, what do you I do? mean, yeah, that's it's kind of a far off goal, but that would be awesome to have our own olive oil or you know pickle our own uh, olives. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, how long until they actually produce a decent amount of uh, probably fruit? four to seven years until yeah. you get you'd get really mature trees and whatnot and yeah. And how you, how big is an olive tree? I guess they just oh, keep they getting can get bigger. huge. Yeah, yeah, they can get huge. They can grow very big. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, olives are cool. Is that the deal with those old old olive orchards in yeah in palestine like yeah. is it the same trees do they have to replant or can no, it they, they, they do replant trees but man they yeah some of those trees are 300 years old crazy. 200 years old 150 years old 50 years old you know it's like wow these are you know they one year they'll give a good crop and then the next year kind of not so great and then the next year you know mm -hmm. they'll take seasons off but it's yeah. amazing the history behind it is pretty cool yeah so what brought your dad here? You said it was college, but what like what was his game plan? What what was he going to college for? Where did he go? Yeah, he w he went to college in New Mexico. That's actually where I was born. And mm. yeah, he was uh, yeah he went to college in New Mexico, uh, studied computer science there, mm. and you know decided that uh, raising his kids here would be a, a good thing to do, and he liked it, so we stayed. Yeah. And what brought your family then up here to Western Washington? Oh, I, I suppose if he, if his background is in computers, yeah, there's a lot of tech. Yeah, here. there's a lot of tech. I, I I guess back in the day, you know, there was no internet back then. You yeah, know, thirty forty years <laughs> ago. But you know, someone just said, "Hey, there's a there's some good work in uh, Olympia, Washington. Why don't you mm. go move up there?" So we just drove the station wagon from New Mexico up here, and the rest is history. Awesome. Yeah. So when did he, what, what, what was he doing then? Like computer stuff, programming or yeah, whatnot yeah, until he's doing, he's doing, yeah, he's a database administrator. So he's, you know, he's into computers. My mom's a stay at home mom. They're both, you know, they're both awesome. They both are, you know, very smart, highly educated, and we're all college educated, all of their kids. And it, the, the farm is just kind of something that we all bond over. And, you know, my sister brings her boys here and, yeah, my dad and me bond over it. You know, yeah. he's always trying to push me to come to, you know, he's like, hey, what are we doing on the farm this weekend? What do we got going on? What projects? And it's, a, you know, it's it's an awesome thing. So he's still doing the computer thing. Yeah, he retires in a year and oh, then wow. he's probably just going to be hanging out at the farm. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, like, that's probably <laughs> what he's going to be doing. So that probably just takes him back so much to his childhood if that's what he grew up around. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah. He he loves it. I mean, he loves eating from the land, growing his own vegetables, and you know he he does that at his house too. He grows vegetables, you know, huge garden. His whole entire backyard got converted into a garden. There's barely any walk space. I'm like, okay, <laughs> looks like we need need to buy some acreage then. And that's kind of what set off the farm journey. But yeah, it definitely takes him back. He used to, you know, milk milk sheep, milk goats, and yeah. milk cows, and then take the cheese before work to the marketplace and sell it to a guy. And yeah. I remember when we were back in Palestine once, he, yeah. he took me to the place where he used to sell the cheese. And it was it was cool to come for full circle and to see. You know, uh, so yeah. much history there, too. 
Like, yeah, lots. I'm sure you probably your family probably goes back there farther than records yeah. exist. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire. It's like, <laughs> dang, Grandma, you got a lot of you got a lot of different IDs with a lot of different Turkish, Arabic. What is this? Yeah. Oh, what a what a region of the world and kind of the crossroads yeah. of a lot of things over yeah. the course of history. What part of Palestine? The West Bank. You know, kind of yeah. the cradle of civilization over yeah. there, where agriculture and farming and everything kind of started exactly yeah it's cool i remember learning about it in school and uh, i've always wanted to get to that part of the world maybe someday yeah someday i'll take you you, so you've been back there a couple times yeah i've traveled um in the middle east been to egypt jordan palestine yeah awesome we used to go a lot in the in the summertime yeah i bet it's hot over there oh it's uh, it's pretty warm yeah what's climate change like there too like is it a lot warmer there than yeah because i mean uh, obviously we're you're growing olives here now so obviously something's happening here what what about over there what yeah it's uh it's becoming increasingly dry and arid you know and um i'm really into like uh re-greening the desert that's kind of like i love that kind of stuff so um I follow, you know, projects in Saudi Arabia and projects in Jordan to re-green the desert and, you know, finding all these, you know, re- regenerative agricultural techniques that could help re-green and yeah. reforest and, you know, bring bring life, you know, back to that area. So a lot of people think that a lot of the political problems in that area, you know, the, the Syrian civil war, they can trace that to climate change. They can trace that to disruption and you know in the crops and people mm-hmm. not having employment and yeah you know and you know leaders kind of know you know if people don't have bread they're gonna riot essentially is kind of the old adage so totally yeah so it's aired over there they're having a you know a lot of water issues yeah yeah thankfully we don't have that kind of pressure here but i know the pressure is building here yeah it definitely and especially is. other parts of the west facing drought thankfully yeah. we're looking okay i think for this year yeah we're here. looking yeah we're looking okay for this year but it is important to try to figure out how to manage our water cycles how to you know rehydrate the water cycles and do everyone do their part to try to do what they can essentially yeah definitely what's the biggest challenge for you to keep this whole Thing going it's got to be getting to be a lot now yeah that it's, you have it's becoming a lot it's a lot a lot of the uh yeah i guess it's a lot of the you know the regulation that try to okay you know what am i going to do am i going to do custom exempt slaughter am i going to mm. do usda how do i figure out you know what should i do should i go direct to consumer should i try to sell to like supermarkets right you know so yeah it's kind of an interesting uh it's finding the time to get everything done yeah, where can people buy your stuff right now? Um, well, they can uh, go to the website, and then um, we could uh, they uh, we they could f- find a custom exempt slaughter uh, facility that will um, take the take the lamb there. And so, if they like buy a share of the animal, right. we talked about this with a few different producers right. here on the podcast, just with the rules, the way they are, and right. how hard it is to get USDA slaughter. Right, and apparently, I, I think there's a bill that just passed or is going to be passing that uh, is going to make it easier. But a lot of the supply chain problems that are far, that far, that farmers are having, and that's an issue with a lot of um, small farms, is you know supply chain. How do I get my product into the into my customers' hands, and how do you know how do I get fairly compensated for that, and and whatnot? So there's a lot of logistics about that, and you know COVID last year kind of exposed a lot of uh, you know the you know big exposed the food industry. You know the big you know yep. Tyson plants with thousands of people on the cut floor and the way they do it we kind of need little small butcher shops to come back into mm-hmm. fashion and into style 
the way they did it in the 50s before, yeah. you know, meat so, packing changed. So uh, olivebranchranch.com or like yeah, what's the, the that's theolivebranchranch.com. The olive branch ranch.com and and so there you I guess you sell direct but not really direct, right? Cuz they still have to buy a share in an animal. They can't just like, "Hey, I want a right you know right. few specific cuts because then you'd have to go through different processing right that is correct so that's kind of what we're, we're hoping to do in the future is hoping to have like some sort of mail uh, some mail order where we just you, you order what you want and then we send it directly freeze-dried to your house so that's kind of the 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 end game there but uh we got to get got to get everything in stock before we yeah. could, before we could launch so it's it's an interesting balance it's like okay we have a bunch of demand, but we don't want to. Aver- We've never had to advertise. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy. So social media is growing. A lot of people are, you know, want to know where their food comes from. They yeah. want to they want to see their food. They want to know, you know, what the farmer. You know, people ask me like, "Are you are you guys organic?" I'm like, "No." Like we are. We're certified by you guys. You know, yeah. you could come to the farm anytime and you could see how your chickens are being treated, how your lambs are being treated, what they're eating. You know. You know, they're, you know, you guys kind of drive the process. Yeah. You know, so why, why don't you get certified? Um, I think it's just a long process, a long and expensive pro- process. And it's like a lot of people, you know, it's just a, a marketing label being, or, you know, you, mm-hmm. you go to the, you go to the, in the store and you look at these eggs that, and it says, you know, uh, uh, vegetarian fed eggs. And you're like, wait, chickens are like little dinosaurs. They scratch around, they eat bugs. They're not vegetarian. They'll eat. Yeah. They'll eat meat, they'll eat eggshells, they'll eat anything, essentially. Yeah, a lot of people would rather not have a vegetarian egg, because a vegetarian egg is probably just going to be only a corn-fed diet or whatever. Right, you know, corn or soy or whatnot, yeah. yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, you would, you don't want that. So it's kind of educating, and that's kind of the the idea behind our Instagram account, is that we, we try to educate people and you know show them, like, this is what this is what your food eats, and this is how your food is raised, and... You know, we try to, you know, get past all the labels and all the marketing terms. What really matters is, you know, animals outside on grass. That's kind of what matters. Yeah. Pasture raise. If, you, if you're looking for, you know, one thing that you want to, you know, to know about, it's pasture raise. Pasture raised egg, pasture raised eggs or lamb or, or goat or cow or yeah. whatever is having animals outside on pasture, free to roam, in sunshine, fresh air. Yeah. That's kind of the, the end all be all. Have you, do you have people come out and be like, hey, I want to see where this meat that I'm buying from yeah. you is coming from? Yeah, absolutely. And they come yeah. checking out? Yeah, there's been folks, Bellevue, Seattle, down from Portland. You know, we're, yeah, we get visitors all the time. People who just want to visit, people who, you know, I mean, even after the COVID area, people are like, yeah, I want my kids to, you know, everyone was bored at home and just scrolling through social media and they, they wanted their kids to see, you know, animals, they wanted their kids to, you know, discover that and rediscover that. So yeah, it's been good. So this is your full-time deal. You farm all no. day, every day? No, it's this not. Is, this, this is my, this is my passion project that I try really? to so, fit in everywhere. Every, yeah. So what do you do for your quote unquote real job? For my quote unquote real job, <laughs> I, I work for the state. Okay. Yeah. So I, I work for the, uh, the state of Washington and, uh, yeah, I just, I fit in the farming early in the morning, late at night, weekends. Yeah. 
the time that I take, you know, most people take vacation and they go somewhere nice. I take vacation and I'm like, okay, these are the projects I need to get done on the farm. <laughs> yeah. I only have so much time. Right, right. Yeah. And then I'm also a real estate agent on the side oh, too. Oh, man. Yeah. I got a, a lot of stuff. I got three jobs. It's like, man, the farming, the real estate. <laughs> yeah. The main so job. So what kind of stuff do you do for the state? Um, I work for the Board of Appeals. So okay. it's a desk job. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you know that compensation. whole world too. Yeah, workers' compensation. Okay, yeah. Anytime anyone gets hurt at work, their, uh, you know, their um, their case comes to our court. Probably yeah. feels good to get out of the office and get back on the farm. I love it, man. This is my happy spot. <laughs> it's quiet out here. It's awesome. It's nice. It's yeah. It's great out that's here. I would love to do this full time. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, is that your goal? Yeah, that's the get, goal. That goal would be to, to to not work. This, you know, yeah. do something I love. You know, yeah. hang out with my dad all day and move yeah. sheep. Hang out with Jacob. Hang out with Kate and move sheep all day. That would be the best thing to do. Yeah. Well, what would it take and how hard is it going to be to make that leap to be like, yeah, I'm going to quit my day job. I know that's for a I lot know. of people and not just in farming, but you know, people with side hustles. That's right. the big step that everyone's scared of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's scared of it. But, um, yeah, eventually that's that's the goal. I mean, it would take, you know, uh, a good income and, and hopefully, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with uh, trying to figure out how to, to make small farms work essentially. Yeah. There, you know, there's a really good guy on YouTube, Richard Perkins out of Sweden. He's, mm. he's British, but he lives in Sweden, owns a, a small farm, about 25 acres, same thing. And he's killing it. He's making, mm. he's paying two people, him and his wife get, uh, have that, you know, um, have an income from the farm and he's raising a family doing it. And I'm like, okay, if that guy can do it, we can do it too. We have, you know, the resources. We have the rain. A lot of, you know, yeah, anytime I feel like complaining, I'm like, you got to think of the people in the Middle East who don't have rain in their exactly. farm. So, yeah. So, yeah, we're going to try to make it work. Awesome. Try to make it. We're going to try to figure it out. And what about family and all of that? You have family involved yeah. in the farm? Yeah, everybody's involved, you know, from the sisters to, to the lady to parents yeah everybody's involved everyone's you know it's a it's a family family ordeal it's fun you know and you know if you're a foodie which we are and we love food yeah. it's like yeah you, you get down to the root and a lot of yeah. people call themselves foodies and i'm like okay but are you really do you really know where yeah. your food's coming from are you getting really good meat are you getting really good eggs yeah. for your baking are you getting really good ingredients for you know really good butter from you know, directly from a farm or from a co-op or, you know, yeah. What about the future of this farm? Like, do you imagine maybe this continuing on, the next generation, things like that? Is, yeah, is I, that would, I would sure hope so. Yeah, I'd sure hope that my uh, my kids would want to do this and, you know, have that sort of relationship that I have with my dad. I mean, my dad is basically my best friend, so it's like, yeah. man, like, I, I, I just love doing it. I love hanging out with him, talking about things with him and, bouncing ideas off with him and you know you know i see the joy that it brings him and it's something that we connect over and it's it's really cool and I, i've just always seen that as something that really changes how a farm operates like what its mo is because i mean if you're stewarding a piece of land right and a reputation as well for the kind of product that you have a customer base all mm -hmm. these things that you're investing in over the course of your farming career you don't want to just throw that away, walk away and be like, yeah, whatever. Like right. families want to continue that on. Right. Absolutely. And then it's, you know, it's, you're doing something good for the community. I mean, 
it's so cool when people are like, hey, we're, we have this huge uh, uh, party, you know, we have a, a wedding reception and we'd really like to serve lamb there and we want two or three lamb or, you know, we just are celebrating this or celebrating that and, you know, and then everyone's like, man, this lamb is so good. Where did you get, you know, and it's like, <laughs> this is awesome. We grew it. <laughs> right. We grew it. And it's, yeah, it's cool when people ask and refer their friends and, and uh, I get a lot of joy from that, producing food for people. It's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story here yeah, with man. us it's and been, having us to the farm. Yeah, it's been great. Have I'm, you? I'm sorry that we had to dodge the rain. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. We did it in the old barn. It's still nice out. I know the, the cats have been messing with my camera over there, so we'll see how that angle of yeah, the video turned out. Yeah, about that. The cats are attacked uh, you. <laughs> the cats attacked you. All I of a sudden, I had a cat on my back. Right. I had like, to take oh, the yeah, I, I am in a barn. This right. is real. This is the real deal. Right. I had to take the bells off the dairy goats and <laughs> feed them and try to give them some treats. And, hey, guys, here's some good hay. You know, please be quiet while we're recording. <laughs> We, you can't fake this right here. Yeah, it has the poop and everything. <laughs> it's on my boots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the real stuff. Yeah, thanks for, for coming and making the big journey. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll me. do it again sometime. Awesome. All right, thanks. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 